0: this month of august christine hides and i are standing in the stories of god from the old testament the stories from the pentateuch the torah um, from those first five chapters of the bible and maybe you would call it the stories of abraham all the way through uh, to the to the promised land where the kingdom is established and the people of god build a temple so we're taking off big chunks of stories And so we have um, a new way to share those stories with you today. We have here in our sanctuary a piece of the desert because so many of the stories of God take place in the desert. People only go into the desert if they have to because the desert is a dangerous place. Food and water are sparse in the desert and so people die without food and water and so people don't go into the desert unless they have to and the wind blows and without plants to anchor the sand the the landscape can change and people can get lost and so people only go into the desert when they have to. In the generations after Abraham, the people of God were living in the land and during that time, the rain stopped falling and all the crops died. There was no grain for making bread and the people were hungry and the children would cry at night. And so the mothers and fathers listened for what God was saying to them, and it was time to go. Even though they had to go into the desert, it was time to go and find food. And so they left, bringing with them all their loved ones. They left in search of food. And they arrived in the land of Egypt, where there was food and water and warm welcome and there was a place for them and for many generations the people of god lived in egypt <coughs> well respected and loved and then a pharaoh arose in egypt who did not know their ancestors. And the Pharaoh noticed the way that the people of God had grown in number. It was like they were as many as the stars in the sky and as many as the grains of sand in the desert. And the Pharaoh felt threatened by this. And so the Pharaoh trapped the people of God. And the people of God had to work when the Pharaoh said work, and they could only rest when the Pharaoh said rest, and they only could eat what the Pharaoh provided. The people of God were enslaved. And a leader among them arose named Moses. And he came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. But Pharaoh said, no. And Moses came back many times to the Pharaoh saying, let my people go. But the Pharaoh said no. Many strange things happened in Egypt. And yet still when Moses asked, let my people go, Pharaoh said no. And then something terrible happened in the land of the firstborn of all the Egyptian families died, even the firstborn son of the Pharaoh. And that time, when Moses came to the Pharaoh to say, let my people go, the Pharaoh said, yes. And so Moses went back to his people and told them to hurry, we must go and they didn't, they packed all their things. They didn't have enough time to wait for the bread to rise. And so the bread that they packed that day was flat. We still have bread like this today, we call it matzah. And every time that we share this bread, we can taste this story. So with their bread, And with all the possessions they could carry, in a hurry, the people of God left toward the desert. But then they heard the sound they were scared that they might hear, Pharaoh's army approaching. The sound of the horse's hooves sounded like thunder. And they became pressed up against the waters, and no one knew what they would do next. But then God drew near to Moses, and Moses drew near to God, and Moses knew what God was calling him to do. And Moses found a way through the waters with all the people crossing over. And once everyone made it through the waters, the waters closed behind them and Pharaoh's army could not reach them. And there they were on the other side of the waters in the desert. They did not know what would come next, but for now they were free and they praised God, and Miriam, Moses's sister, led them in the dancing. We thank God for this sacred story, for the people who crossed the desert, and for the waters that made a way through, and for the desert itself that carries so many of our stories of God's love. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week in worship, we watched the story of Abraham unfold. A family, Abraham's family, from the city of Ur, following God's lead and walking willingly into the desert, as an act of faith. And we don't know exactly what prompted Abraham to leave Ur, but we know that there's no evidence of him being coerced. He wasn't forced to leave Ur. He wasn't under undue social pressures. He wasn't fired from his job. He wasn't escaping the law. It was simply that kind of season that maybe you have experienced where God drew near to Abraham, and Abraham drew near to God, and he knew in the depths of his being, in a sacred kind of way, that he was being called in a new direction. And so as Abraham followed the urging of the divine, he was affirmed every step of the way, and began to discern that this God who he was trusting and following was the kind of God who goes with you into the unknown and is present no matter where you are. And then we enter today's story where generations later, Abraham's grandchildren and great-grandchildren encounter the hardship of famine, and they are forced to leave home out of necessity, and they enter the desert, this time in search of daily bread. And so while we won't go into the complexities of the Joseph narrative, his technicolor dream coat, if you know all of that, uh, we will just suffice it to say that there is much rejoicing when the people of God are finally together in Egypt, food rations widely available. Egypt, for Abraham's great-grandchildren, was a place of safety and nourishment and relief They are received with open arms, they are welcomed, they are known, they are respected, and it becomes a place to set down roots. It's a place where they thrive. And what exactly happens next, we don't know. There is a great ellipsis in this story, a dot, dot, dot that erases or passes by several hundred years. But we do know that God's promise comes true. Abraham's descendants do become as numerous as the stars of the sky and as many as the grains of sand in the desert. But now, this time, the very proliferation of progeny that God so promised has become, for the people of God, the reason that Pharaoh notices them in the first place. And Pharaoh becomes fearful, that they might try to overthrow the kingdom, that he might lose power. And so in this act of desperate self-preservation, the pharaoh enslaves them. So this time, when the people of God escape into the desert, it's not in search of food necessarily, it's in search of freedom. People don't go into the desert unless they have to. But this time, the desert in all its barrenness offers more promise for the people of God than all the abundance in Egypt. The desert becomes a place of safety, a place for human dignity and liberation. This place that no one enters instead becomes a place of rest and joy and dancing and praising God after untold years of forced labor and slavery. So while the the story of Abraham reminds us that God goes with us into every every unknown future and is with us wherever we are, the story of Moses reminds us of God's powerful liberation and God acting on behalf of those who are oppressed. Our God is a God who longs for the dignity and freedom of all people. Our God is a God who changes the hearts and minds of powerful and unjust leaders so that oppression and coercion and enslavement and injustice might cease. And now we, as human beings, as people who participate in the world at large, as global citizens, as faithful ones who seek to long for the same thing that God longs for, we notice and we know the ways that oppression and coercion and enslavement and injustice still exist. We see it in the labor market, in chocolate and coffee plantations, in places of war or dictatorship, even in places that are closer to home than we might want to admit. The the exodus event did not eradicate the human propensity to abuse or exploit or subjugate one another. But the exodus event does give us a vision for another way so that we as the people of God today might commit again to pursuing the liberation and dignity and freedom of all people in a way that is creative and rooted in love and energized by an attentiveness to the presence of God at work in us and through us. We worship this God of liberation. We worship this God of freedom. We worship this God who hears our deepest longing for another way. In his book, The Prayers of the Old Testament, Walter Brueggemann puts a finer point on this story and where God is in the midst of all of it. Brueggemann says that all God needed to hear from the enslaved people was their groaning prayer. And with that, God responds, God didn't need long, eloquent prayers. God didn't need faithful years of worship attendance and Bible study. God didn't need profound theological statements about the necessity of liberation. All God needed to hear was the groaning cry of the people of God. So that's where I connect most with the story of Exodus these days. That God hears our groaning prayer, and in hearing that groan, God's plan for liberation is ready to unfold. I resonate with this message because each of us in our own way have prayed a groaning prayer, the kind of wordless prayer that comes from the depths of our being. Whether the intensity of physical pain or the kind of sorrow that shakes you to the core, your groaning prayer is wordless and half formed, sometimes barely audible to the ear, or barely audible and barely even directed to the ear of God, maybe barely even articulated. It's just a groan. That's all you can muster because of the weight you're under. Maybe it's a burden you're still under. Your groaning prayer is heard by God and God is remembering the promises that God has made to you and God is awakening in you and within you and placing people in your life and surrounding you with a community of care who will be with you on your path toward liberation and freedom and dignity and release and rest and a way out. That's what Exodus means anyway. The word ex. Odos literally means the road out, the exit. The story of the exodus is the off ramp, the exit route, the escape, the retreat, the withdrawal, the evacuation, the way out from under the groaning impossibilities set before us. Liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez says that God is on the side of the poor and the oppressed. That is the Exodus story. God hears the groaning prayer of an entire people and is moved to compassion and divine action. For us, this message is both one of comfort that God is a God of liberation and a message of calling a calling to us to draw near to this God of liberation, a calling to dream the divine dreams of freedom into reality alongside the, the Holy One who is at work in the world. We are Christ's hands and feet, say the justice-seeking mystics. We are Christ's hands and feet. So with this Exodus story on our heart, may we, God's people today, Join divine love on the road out from oppression and suffering, both at a systemic level, alleviating the agony of entire people groups for whom oppression and slavery and terror has become the norm, and at the individual level, within community, relieving the impact of personal sorrows and aches and ailments and groaning prayers may we find in our own lives the Exodus God who writes a way out on our hearts and sends us toward freedom and persevering hope. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.